headline on privacy is consumers expect to be given choice. A lot of platforms will give them choice. And if brands aren't explicit on telling consumers what data they collect and what's in it for the consumer, they're going to have a tough time getting a lot of data. Welcome to Now Brands Talk. This is a show for leaders who care deeply about brand integrity and customer relationships. You're about to learn from CX leaders who have firsthand experience bridging that tricky divide between brands and the people who love them. Let's listen in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Now Brands Talk. I am your host, Ruth Zive, and my guest today is Jed Schneiderman, SVP, Industry Practice Lead of Media and Telco at Cognitive. I am super excited to have Jed with me today, and our main topic is going to be all about customer loyalty and really how to create brand experiences that are valuable for both customers and businesses alike. Really hard to achieve that, frankly. And that fine line, especially between privacy and personalization. So welcome to Jed. Hello. It's great to have you here. This is actually particularly exciting for me because Jed, we've known each other since we were little kids, around 10 years old. And uh, I think that if somebody would have told us on our bus ride to school with our with our Sony Walkman and our Swatch watches that we'd be chatting one day in the future on something called a podcast about customer experiences and, and digital marketing that we were you know, it would have seemed like they were speaking a different language, right? Totally. Yeah. The world, the world has certainly changed since then. So uh, before we jump into Q&A, and we've got a lot of really interesting ground to cover today, I like to kick off these conversations with the same question. Share with our listeners, what is the best interaction that you've ever had with a brand? And what about it was so special from your perspective? The one that I like to use because it touches on a whole bunch of different elements was um, ordering a coffee at Starbucks. I went one day um, and I was standing in line and I ordered my coffee. This was in the early days of their mobile app. So it was largely as both a payment and a loyalty method. They had yet to launch order ahead and pick up in store. And I was standing in line and I went to pay. And I, like many folks, um, had um, an expired credit card in my mobile app. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to pay and I was unable to. And I wanted to use the app because it had loyalty already built into it. And the barista saw me struggling um, with uh, the app and my phone. And she asked me what I was struggling with or what was going on. And I said, I had a old credit card. The credit card had been compromised and I had simply not updated it. And I didn't know how to do it. And she said, well, if you, if you don't mind, why don't you give me your phone and why don't you give me your credit card? And so I handed her both and she did a couple of magical taps and she basically said, okay, you're done. Like you, you've just paid for the, um, the, the coffee. And I said, well, how'd you do that? And she goes, well, we've built operational redundancy into our mobile app so that baristas can override, still give you your points, still use a physical credit card, and um, that way you just don't have to stand in line. At which point I, I thanked her and she proceeded to say, oh, and by the way, your coffee's on us. Wow. And I was like, 
why'd you do that? I said, like, this whole ordeal cost me seven seconds of my life. And she said, well, because that's just not how the experience is supposed to go. So the, the reason why I cite the example is they are well regarded as having a pretty good sort of online and offline experience. Their loyalty program has done pretty well. There's a lot of data talking about uh, cashless payments and the like. But what really struck me was, one, the operational redundancy in the experience, the fact that the individual on the ground level knew exactly how to solve the problem, she had been properly trained, and then, of course, the icing on the cake was the culture that's built at Starbucks, which she didn't have to consult anyone. She made a judgment call, and she basically went above and beyond so as to deliver or at least compensate for what she viewed as a lackluster experience. And I should clarify that what I was trying to do was add more money to the card. So not only did she take care of the transaction, but she had asked me how how much I wanted reloaded on the card, and she added that onto the card via the physical card that was working. Wow. So that's one example that always stands out. Great, great example. And I have to say, Starbucks for the win. And if they're listening, we've got to get somebody from the Starbucks customer experience onto this podcast, because this is not the first time that they've been called out in this opening segment as having delivered a great brand interaction. So, and what I love about the way that you framed it is that it's a great example of how tech and, you know, digital first blended with that human interaction can really elevate the experience considerably. So I love that. Okay, great. Thank you for sharing that. Let's let's jump into some of the, the meat of this uh, discussion. Give us a quick description uh, from your perspective of what exactly is collaborative commerce, because it's just some context on the space where you actually work. Sure. You know, our view of collaborative commerce stems from most brands try to drive loyalty by getting you to buy more stuff. <laughs> yeah. So there's an old expression, which is you'll go broke buying on sale, right? And so there are many examples of building loyalty <laughs> by getting consumers to simply buy more stuff. So buy two, get one free. Buy two, get 20% off. Buy right. two, get 50% off. Buy two, get double the points, whatever. The reality is, for most businesses, all they can do to drive loyalty outside of experience, as we just spoke about with the Starbucks example, is they get you to buy more stuff from within their four walls. And I use the four walls metaphorically speaking. It could mm-hmm. be online as well. And so they're always trying to deliver an, an excellent experience, but it's all focused within those four walls. So if you think of any category in which you participate, so if let's say you exercise on the weekend, or let's say you're in a book club with friends, or let's say you ski on the weekends, you know, a, a retailer or a brand may only see their view of that transaction or that experience. Mm-hmm. But think of all of the money spent and all the time that goes into that experience beyond just buying the skis or playing a sport. Or, you know, if you own a pet and you go for a walk with your dog, there's all the stuff around the health and wellness of the pet and the integration of the family. Yeah. We believe the real opportunity for brands to drive loyalty is to collaborate with other brands around that experience or around that key moment in your life as a consumer. And so if you think of that, it's kind of mind blowing Mm. in the sense that if your pet store were to know that you were going away on vacation 
because there's collaboration between the airline and the pet store, and they know that you want to put your pet, let's say, in a doggy hotel for three days. And your bank also knew that you wanted insurance for your pet so as to make sure nothing went wrong. All of a sudden, if that was delivered to you from the airline, your affinity and love for the airline, as well as done hopefully within a seamless consumer experience, it would go through the roof. Because now all of a sudden, you don't have to go to three or four different places in order to enjoy that vacation, knowing that essentially a member of your family, your pet, is being left behind. Right. And so that's an example of collaborative commerce. And the reason why I get really excited about it and the reason why I think it's so relevant, without geeking out on all the changes that Apple and Google have made, if you start to think about all the changes that are happening on platforms... And the fact that brands are no longer getting the data that they once got. And then even when they did get it, they often would have to either pay for it or spend more money in order to acquire it. It really unleashes a lot of potential and removes a lot of shackles from brands. So as to not only create a better experience for consumers and super serve them beyond their four walls, but just think about the sheer amount of data they get to collect on their consumer. So that is sort of a toe in the water around collaborative commerce. Super interesting. You know, we talk a lot about how the customer experience is being consolidated across touch points, even within those four walls. So, you know, from the moment you land on a website and your in-store experience to when you convert to being a customer and then the upsell opportunity and how, you know, departments internally within a brand have to remove those barriers and be less siloed and how they address and interact with their customers to make sure that that brand experience is is more um, consistent across all touch points. But really what you're speaking to is this, I- this idea of consolidation really across brands in some way and across, across full experiences, where are those points of overlap, which is super interesting. Love that. Okay. Well, let's, let's take that context a little bit. Um, I know that in some of our earlier discussions with you, you talked about how uh, that the the biggest customer trends that Cognitive is picking up are um, around privacy and loyalty. I know that's something that you've spoken about. Talk about how a little bit about how those two things are related, if at all, and, um, you know, what the impact of digital interaction is on those two trends. Uh, Do you want me to start with privacy first? Sure, sure. Sure. So, so I think when it comes to privacy, there is a very high signal-to-noise ratio. So we have to sort of un- unpack what's really going on with privacy. So first off, what I alluded to is there is a really big battle going on between major technology companies. There are um, a lot of governments that are intervening, and then there's a lot of consumer noise. So first, if we look at all of the big platforms, the biggest and most public fight is Facebook and Apple. And what's happening there, in case folks don't necessarily look at it this way, Facebook makes majority of their revenue off of advertising. And the high rates and the high rates of profitability are largely due to very granular targeting that Facebook is able to achieve by essentially extracting a lot of device off of the phone. Keep in mind that in the last quarter, 
Instagram was responsible for more than 50% of Facebook's revenue. Mm -hmm. And even though Instagram has just recently announced some desktop options, we can assume that almost all of that revenue is mobile. So effectively, not knowing the mobile stat on Facebook, but knowing that historically it's been above 50%, well over Facebook's revenue, uh, half of their revenue is is through mobile devices. Yep. Apple, on the other hand, doesn't really have an advertising business. Okay. So what Apple is doing under the guise of privacy, which is really, I'll speak to you more as a marketer right now, Ruth, but in the vein of being very clever marketers, they're hanging the privacy shingle out there where, in fact, it's really a shield for very smart business strategy. They don't run a lot of adver- they don't run any advertising. They shut down their advertising business a couple years ago. Now they do have more credit cards on file than any company in North America, and that's largely through iTunes. But for now, the fight that appears to be personal between you know Tim Cook and Mark Zuckerberg is Apple is basically hurting Apple. Um, Apple's hurting Facebook where it hurts, and that is on the advertising side. So by Giving consumers, and a lot of people, if they've upgraded recently and if they do have an iPhone, which tends to skew heavily in North America, is folks are given an opportunity. Do they want to share their um, data with um, an app? Facebook announced in their last earnings call they were going to see a revenue decline. The Snapchat stock took a massive hit because they're not able to do targeting. So right now, Apple is basically trying to hurt Facebook on the advertising side, and they're doing it by basically giving consumers choice. So that's the first bit on the tech front. On the government side, they just don't like the fact that these companies are making tons and tons of money. And so every week, there's a new headline around one jurisdiction going after large tech. And it's for a number of different reasons. And so lastly, you've got consumers And consumers hear snippets of this. The average consumer doesn't work in marketing or digital marketing. And they kind of get this basic story that they're being hoodwinked or that they're being cheated or somehow being tricked. They're vulnerable, yep. Yeah. And so, you know, if you ask someone, well, you get all this free stuff online, who do you think's paying for it or how do you think they're paying for it? Even though a majority probably would not answer the question, they would understand if fed the answer, well, it's through advertising, they would kind of get it. So you've got like these three main issues circling with one another. The net of all of this is the next phase of the web is going to give consumers a lot of choice. So the headline on privacy is consumers expect to be given choice. A lot of platforms will give them choice. And if brands aren't explicit on telling consumers what data they collect and what's in it for the consumer, they're going to have a tough time getting a lot of data. And that, to me, is privacy distilled into its basically most salient points. Mm. So there's a ton of complex technical jargon. But if you're a marketer, we believe at our company, and I do believe personally, and this is going to sound a little bit contradictory and counterintuitive, Now is the time to ask consumers as many questions as you'd like. Love that. Love that. So so here I am saying like, oh, there's this whole mess on privacy. But what I'm also saying is that there's a golden opportunity, given all of the technology through Ada and through many other technology companies that are really interesting, go ahead and ask. But you have to know why you're asking. So when I was at Starbucks... 
the barista said what she she read my facial expressions she said what's going on she listened she then said can i have your credit card and your phone so in most circumstances my past life in mobile marketing most people if they forget their keys at home they keep going on about their day if they forget their phone they stop breathing for a couple of seconds and they run back home. So she's like, can I have your phone? And I'm like, okay, why are you asking for my phone? But she explained why she needed it. The reason was sound. She was there to help me. And I gave her my phone. And I use that as an example by way of proxy that brands can ask Jed and Ruth loads of, loads of questions. My belief is you have to tell them why you're asking for it. You have to explain what's in it for them. And I do believe that you have to hold that data under lock and key. Mm. So I love this because um, I believe wholeheartedly that while the instinct of brands is actually to keep customers in many ways at arm's length, they want to collect the information that they think is super important, but they, it's expensive to sustain a level of interaction that drives personalized experiences. It's expensive. It often requires that human intervention. And so the instinct is to actually diminish the number of interactions that you have with the customer if they're not specifically sales oriented to your earlier point about, you know, selling more stuff. The instinct is often to to push the sale or the upsell or, you know, to collect the email address, but less so to learn more about your customer or your prospect and inspire that sense of trust that will move them to give up their iPhone metaphorically. Sure. Um, so we believe at Ada at least wholeheartedly that you want to be interacting more. Because that's what allows you, you know, to the coffee shop example, that's what allows you to get to know your customers and your prospects and to grow that sense of trust and to build a more meaningful relationship. So talk a little bit about that conflict between these privacy concerns and, and all of the stuff that's happening now and achieving that personalized experience. How do you, how do you reconcile those two things from your perspective? So... I think you can reconcile them in a number of ways. Here, here's a couple things to think through. So if we both acknowledge that asking more questions can inform better decision making. Yeah. So there's that idea. I, I think there is the next reality, which is goes back to your first question, which is, you know, um, diving into loyalty a little bit. Most loyalty programs are self-funded. So a brand, if they're giving away points or a discount or some currency, they have to pay for it themselves. Most loyalty programs use oftentimes a currency that is not well understood. So brands don't actually know what a point is worth. So one day I might fly for 15,000 points. Another day it might cost me 50,000 points for the same flight. So all of a sudden, the value of a point has gone down by roughly two-thirds. Mm. So you've got opacity around the value of something that people are using in order to measure loyalty. So we believe that um, if you can ask more questions, if we bring in this other idea around collaborative commerce, and you can exchange and you can create bundles that have a known value, you get partway there. I think back to your question around how you can learn more. I think as marketers, you have to relook at moments to ask these questions. So I'll give a really simple example. 
I would imagine if I asked you, have you bought something online in the past seven days? You would probably say yes. And not just because today. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So if you're comfortable, if you don't want to use this example, what did you buy? Oh God, I'm so embarrassed. I bought Kim Kardashian's skims about an hour ago. (laughs) Okay. And I, which is like, it's like t-shirts shapewear. Okay. Okay. Now, when you finished your checkout, presumably you got a confirmation number and that was about it. Yep. In an email. I got it. Yeah. I did get an email follow-up. Okay. But let me ask you this. What would be the harm after you checked out, the transaction is actually complete? So for all those e-commerce experts listening and they think whatever I'm about to suggest is going to cause breakage or cart abandonment or something. So we are talking post-purchase at this point. So the, yep. the, everything's done. Yep. What would be the harm if they asked you two or three questions at that point about you or future purposes, uh, purchases or why you bought this today or would you be interested in the product in other colors or other materials? Like, what would be the harm at that point? I I would advocate very little. And I would advocate almost unlimited upside. Agreed. So that, to me, is a really simple example. And, And then let's flip it the other way. So how many times do we go to a website where, and think about how ridiculous this is. We go to a website, and within three seconds, we get a pop up that says, join our newsletter and get 15% off. Yep. So, so I'm going to look to every single marketer that does that and get them to ask themselves the following questions. How did you know I wasn't willing to pay full price? And what makes you think that as I'm going to your website, let's assume I got there through an ad or some other means, that the thing I want to be greeted with is um, an ask to sign up to your newsletter. It'd be the equivalent of walking into a store and instead of someone saying, hi, how are you? How can I help you? They got me to do something like sign up for a newsletter or a credit card. I don't want to do that. Totally. But it's because, you know, it's because the, the driver there is email capture, right? Like that marketers and I'm, I'm one of them. They're trying to convert the lead. They're trying to capture the information that they think is going to be the hook or the vehicle through which they can complete the sale, which is backwards. I I completely agree with you that the goal should be to learn more, to build the relationship so that you can serve up a more meaningful experience down the road. I think that we're stuck in old ways and Brands think less about dynamic interaction, ongoing relationship building, and are more fixated on what's in front of them at that moment, which tends to be more about lead capture on a static website. Totally agree with you. I I love that. Let me just double click a little bit. Uh, When we think about all of these different data points that go into cultivating valuable brand interactions, and we go back a little bit to the beginning of our conversation, you said that privacy is also a big factor. So customers are precious about their data, understandably. Uh, you You framed it well. So how do you actually, in an authentic and meaningful way, 
make customers in a digital environment feel reassured that you can that that you're going to preserve the integrity of their data which is really what you need in order to serve up that personalized experience so i think there's off the top of my head three three ideas that might go to help answering your question so the first is make the privacy policy easy to understand mm. i was on a website a couple days ago buying stuff and buried within the footer, and this is a compliment, it's, it's not a criticism, but buried within the footer literally was a clickable link that says, we do not sell any of your data. I'd never seen it before, and I clicked on it, and all it did was sort of generate a pop-up in larger font, and it was the exact same message there. We don't sell any of your data. Which is really all you want to know at the end of yeah, the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty clear, like pretty clear. So I don't know if you, if just for fun, when you get those cookie pop-ups and you start clicking on all the different ones, it's, it, I, I get lost within seconds. So yeah. the first is just make it really easy to understand. The second thing is collect the data and then deliver on the promise. So if, let's say I as a consumer say, I only want to get your email once a week and these are the categories that I'm interested in, Go figure out how to do that. Yeah. So if your job is email marketing and you use a platform that um, uh, prevents you from configuring the email, then find out a way of telling me that and then give me a timeline so as to go figure that out. I was having a conversation with someone who leads an email marketing program for a leading retailer. And back to some of the um, points that we talked about earlier, they email me seven times a week. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't buy more stuff. I'm already a super user. And it was a point that you raised a couple minutes ago, which I think is really valid. I think marketers have to get away from vanity metrics. Yeah. So I would show up probably on someone's desk as being someone that they should email seven days a week. Because I open up every single one because I'm just curious. I like the brand. I like the retailer. I like the assortment. I'm always interested in a niche category and I buy probably once or twice a month. So they would look at me as going, keep sending Jed tons. But the truth is I still don't want to get seven right. a week, but they use open as the metric. And what they really need to do is they need to look at what percent do I buy of total? How often do I buy on full sale um, versus on discount and the like? And then I think the last uh, point, um, which is really relevant, is it's a very old school comment. You have to build a brand that people like. <laughs> Fair enough. And so, and so you know, um, again, I'll use just a fun example. I bought from um, a retailer over the weekend, had never purchased from this company before, and a day later, in my in my inbox was a letter from the president. I was like, okay, this is kind of intriguing. And in it, the 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 president wrote, "We understand that you could have bought from anyone, and you chose to buy from us. We really appreciate it. We look forward to you buying more from us." It was not personalized, but it was fun. It was a little tongue in cheek. Uh, it engendered a little bit of goodwill. So like there are these little moments. It's really the unexpected, right? Like I think yeah. we've become almost numb to email marketing these days. Like we almost expect to be inundated seven days a week. And I, 
I agree. It's those unexpected moments where something happens different than what every other retailer or marketer is pushing out there. Um, so that's a great example. I could honestly continue this conversation for another half hour at least, but I want to be mindful of the time. We'd like to wrap up these conversations with a bit of a lightning round of questions so that our listeners can get to know you a little bit more personally. So I'm just going to fire through a couple of questions off the cuff, nothing trickier. I probably know some of the answers to these since I've known you for so long, <laughs> but let's just, uh, I'm going to fire away. So tell me, what is your favorite book? Oh, I love Zero to One by Peter Thiel. Good one. I have not read it. I will add it to my list. What was your first job, Jed? My first job was actually babysitting your two younger brothers. Ah! Um, <laughs> so that was my first paid gig. And we paid um, very, I, my parents paid very well, correct? <laughs> um, outside of that, it was working for um, a wholesale appliance company in their warehouse. Okay. Are you a dog person or a cat person? Neither. Neither. Okay. What was the name of the corner store that we used to walk to to get freezies at the end of school? Mm, at Eglinton and um, uh, Chaplin. Chaplin, uh, exactly. Or It wasn't actually the name of the store. What did we call it? The Chaplin Convenience Store? No, it was the blue store because oh, it had blue the blue. Store. Do you remember the blue yes, store? Of we course, used to get of course. Mr. Freezies. Yes. Okay. And then and the, the last, Lola's. And the, the Lola's. Lola's. Exactly. Yes. The Lola's. Yeah. And the last question, we kicked off uh, this podcast with the best interaction that you'd ever had with a brand. So without naming any names, what was the worst interaction that you had ever have ever had with a brand? Well, I'll tell a funny story. So it was a high-end men's retailer in Canada okay. and I was in university and I did not look very I, I did not present very well <laughs> I did not present very well and what was really interesting was I walked in and the sales associate sized me up and ignored me yeah. And I went um, in and I um, I asked someone to help me and I ended up buying some like formal wear, like a, a jacket and pants and a couple ties and all that sort of stuff. And um, when I went to the cash, the guy that had ignored me was checking out someone who had bought a pair of like casual cotton pants for X. And my bill was about 10X what that person was. And I remember the look on the sales associate's face when he looked to his um, coworker and saw what he was ringing in and his jaw totally dropped. You had so, a pretty woman moment. Yeah, yeah right? I guess so. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, I, I think, you know, the takeaway is the obvious, which is don't judge a book by its cover. Yep. But I think the interesting thing is stay curious, ask lots of questions, challenge yeah. your own beliefs. Have more interactions. He might have yeah. come to realize that, in fact, he was going to make a sweet sale over there. Yeah. Great example. So you, I think you can learn from everyone and anyone. And, you know, that's sort of the takeaway from that. Great takeaway. 
So let me let me just highlight some of the other takeaways from today's discussion, because there was a lot of great information there. And I love it when um, we share information that listeners can actually turn into action. So we talked about how um, you really want a holistic view of customers in order to foster loyalty. It doesn't happen just within four walls, and you really should consider what is happening adjacent to your brand and at all touch points across that experience. We talked about how privacy is sort of the minimum that you need in order to build a sense of trust and to grow that relationship and that you should be simple and crystal clear about your intentions and your integrity from a privacy perspective. And uh, then, of course, we talked about how it's important to have more interactions with your customers, to take the time to really understand what their interests are, to do the unexpected and to, you know, sort of go above and beyond in order to build those relationships and that loyalty long term. So this was really interesting for me and, and really such a pleasure to have you on the show, Jed. Tell all of our listeners how people can get in touch with you. Probably the easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn. That's where I spend most of my time. I think it's a great platform. So that's probably the easiest way to find me. And for folks that are interested, they can just go to our website, which is cognitive, K-O-G-N-I-T-I-V.com. And that's a great way to you know, grab a hold of me or someone else within our organization. We're always happy to help and chat about collaborative commerce, zero-party data, and how basically brands can drive loyalty. Amazing. I would definitely encourage everyone to follow you on LinkedIn. You share such great stuff. And if you'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, you can find me there as well, as well, where I also share too many of my wacky opinions and ideas. Um, thank you to all of our listeners for listening to this episode of Now Brands Talk. Subscribe to hear more conversations with CX leaders wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. And again, Jed, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much, Ruth. With Ada, brands can finally talk to customers with a consistent voice anytime, anywhere. The world's most beloved brands like Zoom, Square, and Facebook all use Ada's brand interaction platform to build real relationships with customers. If you felt the pain of delivering a great customer experience that is authentic, personalized, and scalable, then Ada is for you. Learn more about Ada's brand interaction platform at ada.cx slash podcast. You've been listening to Now Brands Talk, a podcast by Ada. Stay connected by subscribing to the show, leaving us a rating and comment, and sharing episodes you love. Your support and feedback ensures future episodes will address your interests with fresh discussion and insights about how brands talk. Thank you so much for joining us. Until next time. 